0: Welcome to Season 2 of Positivity Strategist. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, in which we talk about seven literacies for living and leading in this century. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel.
1: And I'm Sally Lee. We're co hosts of Season 2. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, Literacies for Living and Leading in This Century, and for 10 shows. That's what we'll be talking about.
0: Hello, everybody, and a very warm welcome back to another episode of Appreciative Voice and Choice. And hello to you, Sally, my wonderful co-host.
1: Hi, Robin. Glad to be doing this again. And I'm wondering what's coming up for our listeners as they... um, Come to our podcast and read about the seven literacies we're focusing on, particularly now that we've introduced our seven literacies guide. You can download our beautiful guide from the show note pages on appreciativevoice.com. These literacies are grounded in the principles of appreciative inquiry and how to bring them into daily life. So far, we've talked about inviting inquiry, reframing reality, Kindling Kindness, Powering the Positive, and this week we're focusing on Welcoming Wholeness.
0: Yes, it's so fantastic, Welcoming Wholeness. It's another one of those big concepts, and we're excited to explore wholeness. I mean, what does it mean, and how do we welcome it? And we've got lots of questions that we'll be asking of each other, and we hope all kinds of ideas and possibilities will emerge as we explore this topic together.
1: So let's first look at what is wholeness, and we're gonna go out and take a big picture view. Wholeness is oneness. It can be thought of as unity, recognition and honoring of our interdependence, our interconnectedness. Wholeness can feel like a sense of belonging. And another concept associated with wholeness is non-duality. But I wanna spend a second now on what wholeness is coming to mean in our very digitally connected world. As humans, we're becoming more aware of our togetherness, of the relative smallness of a planet supporting seven plus billion people. Whether we want to think about it or not, what happens in one part of the globe impacts the rest of us. It's unavoidable now. It used to be that you could put out of your mind what was happening on the other side of the world, but we can't anymore. We now have to take our wholeness into consideration. That's an awakening and reckoning that we are all witness to as communications change. The way diplomacy is done among nations shifts and the sense that we need to have a say in decisions being made on the other side of the world, like things like nuclear testing and the way we fish the oceans. We're pretty vitally concerned about those things. We're aware now of our interconnectedness and interdependence. It feels sudden. But as we learn more about the brain and about physics, the little bit that I can understand, we're finding that we've always been innately connected. There's wholeness at the micro and the macro levels. And we're going to look at both of these in this show. Stay tuned.
0: Yeah. So Sally, yes, I love that you bring up this notion of our interdependence and our interconnectedness. Yes, we are all one. We are globally connected here's a start to thinking about, you know, micro and macro levels. Wholeness is the inclusion um, of all frames and perspectives. It's the big picture, and it takes all the parts into consideration. Sally, in episode four, which was entitled Reframing Reality, you used the analogy of the magnifying glass as a way to think about our capacity to reframe reality. You said... Our human perceptual capacity is like a magnifying glass. We focus in on something and often lose awareness of what originally surrounded that magnified area. It's like cropping photos on our digital cameras. We crop the image to fit our preferred view of the scene and forget the bigger picture. Sally, I think this analogy also works well with welcoming wholeness. If we only look for and pay attention to the details of a single part we're excluding, again, the whole picture. We have no perception of the wholeness of a situation or a person. The totality of all there is is missing. We only see the parts or the fragments. And if we only see fragments, what are we missing out on when it comes to seeing the whole?
1: Right. And then we can think at the real macro, micro level that each one of us is also a whole, living in a larger, vast wholeness of all there is. What happens when we share our whole self, our experiences, knowledge sets, our worldviews, our skills and our emotions with others and they share their whole selves? We have the potential then to shift to an appreciation of the wholeness of who we are together. We realize it's just as much about us as about me. And you know, that's a really big change for the Western world where we have focused so much on the individual. It's very exposing of our vulnerabilities and it's a part of that big shift we're all experiencing in the world. Mm -hmm.
0: So Sally, why don't we just relate welcoming wholeness to appreciative voice? Why does it matter and what does it produce? What was our impetus for including this literacy in the seven literacies for living and leading in these times? You mentioned at the beginning there's wholeness at the micro and macro levels, So let's start with the micro, the whole self. What might we consider when we talk about wholeness at the micro level?
1: Well, you know, in any conversation about this, Robin, it's a bit tricky. We can say that wholeness at the micro level is at the individual level. And we know that if you only focus on the individual, you focus only on the individual, you're separating each individual from the whole and all of us together shapes each of us as an individual. So it's in, a re- it's in relationship and how we make meaning together that shapes us. We are not, in fact, separate from the whole, even though it feels that way sometimes.
0: Mm. And Sally, accepting that as a principle or assumption that we are all one, what if we were to take the view that I can be a whole human being while recognizing there are parts to my life? You know, we as we, you know, we are complex human beings, and we do compartmentalize our lives and struggle with different parts of us. And I know I'm generalizing. Yes, I am. And there are many of us in this world who are highly evolved, which is to acknowledge the non-duality of our being. So I'm inviting. Um, listeners to visit the show notes because there you'll find a link to the description that I'm about to actually read out it's a quote and it comes from Jeff Foster who's an author and a teacher on the topic of non-duality and so here's the quote non-duality is actually a translation of the Sanskrit word avaita which simply means not two, and points to the essential oneness that is wholeness or completeness or unity of life, a wholeness which exists here and now, prior to any apparent separation. And it's a word that points to an intimacy, a love beyond words, right at the heart of present moment experience. It's a word that points us back home. And despite the compelling appearance of separation and diversity, there's only one universal essence, one reality. Oneness is all there is. We are all included. So non-duality is in fact not something we seek or strive for. It's not a code of practice or a belief system. It's simply surrendering to what is, what is present here and now. And how do we arrive at that awakening about the non-dual nature of our being? Well, it takes personal and professional development.
1: Wholeness at that micro level is about feeling whole within ourselves. We experience a deep appreciation for the importance of our own wholeness, our very own wholeness, which is a caring for ourselves that is not separate from a deep caring for others. You know, it's really all the same and we learn that as we go forward. We acknowledge we are imperfect beings, we become open to sharing our vulnerabilities And recognize it's our connection with others that helps address our need for unity, completeness and belonging. That's personal wholeness. What we do as individuals impacts the whole and it works the other way around. It's the nature of our relational world and a wonderful thing to explore.
0: Mm. And so as we begin to develop such insights about our own wholeness and why it matters, we in fact begin to step into leadership and Meg Wheatley, um, many of you know, who is a hero of mine and probably for many of us, in her latest book, which is called *Who We Choose to Be: Facing Reality, Claiming Leadership, Restoring Sanity*, she talks about being a leader and about being whole. And she says, or she defines leadership as a leader as anyone willing to help. And in another books and references and talks, she also talks about a leader as anyone who makes a difference. So in a way, we're all leaders and as leaders. And as we do this transformative work, we learn to know ourselves more deeply and accept ourselves for our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. We develop our capacity and become increasingly better positioned to create the environments for others to experience wholeness for themselves. And that takes us to the macro level wholeness in our families, our workplaces, and communities.
1: Hear, hear. <laughs> Good,
0: thanks. I'm reminded, as I say this, of a wonderful story about the integration of wholeness from the micro to the macro level. And I read this story on the website Enlivening Edge, and we'll put a link there on the show notes page. And the story is about a company called The Carpenter Oak, and it's a construction building company. It's been in business um, creating oak frame buildings for over 30 years and operates in the UK. And the interview that I read was with the, um, one of the directors of the organisation, his name's Stuart Voden. And Stuart says that he's been interested in his personal development at a deep, deep level for many, many years. And he has a deep appreciation for the importance of wholeness in himself. And the article then focuses on how he translates his personal wholeness in the organisation that he co-leads. And what stands out um, in this organisation are the words that they use. For example, they use language such as, for the good of the whole. Whenever they make decisions, it's for the good of the whole. So in embracing wholeness, they have values such as, it's okay to fail, fail fast, learn, and move on. In fact, that's one of the the principles of um, the IDEO company too. Back to, (laughs) I'm just going off on a tangent here, but back to um, Carpenter. Those are
1: good tangents. (laughs) I love hearing about different companies that you know about and Mm -hmm. have worked with. Mm
0: -hmm. So if we come back to my story about Carpenter Oak, what he also says about how they show wholeness and bring wholeness into their daily practices at work there he says there's a lot of holding of each other and covering for each other so where does this come from and he says it comes from years of management the the management team living it a deep caring for each other and then the strength of having a finely honed recruitment process where the focus is on potential over skills
1: that's really an inspiring story In today's more complicated and complex world, in most countries, in politics and in industry, we're moving away from the idea of there being a sole leader. Even if there's a formal leadership role, that person is guided by the ideas of many, and we accept that. We need more perspectives and ideas to find the solutions and create innovations that will serve our existing and future global citizens. That's a conversation that I've had with so many clients and friends who are leaders in their organizations or managers. They want to work on something. They come to me and they say, I want to work on, say, a strategic plan or getting better communication and teamwork. And so they say, I say, well, great. What size of a group do you want to have? You know, how many people are involved? And they, we start with a conversation about Um, 10 to 12 people in a room, and then I ask, well, who has a stake in this work work, and who might be impacted? And the number grows and Mm -hmm. grows as we talk about what wholeness means in this particular situation. Sometimes that means a whole team, let's say 40 people, or a whole facility, which is really fun, or my favorite, the whole organization, the whole organism. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing and momentarily daunting to look out into a sea of that level of wholeness. Mm -hmm. The biggest I've ever worked with is with 600 people in a room for five days, but that was the whole enchilada. It was everybody, amazing connections. And of course, then there's the issue that happens when you convince an organization that it's in their best interest to have the whole present, to include the whole. And that's where can we put all those people Mm -hmm. Um, from a boardroom sized event to an auditorium, to a hotel ballroom, we've spent a lot of time in those places, or even a stadium. (laughs) Or as a story I heard uh, about the BBC many years ago, they had 33,000 people in the biggest rooms they could find all over the world in a digital live conversation. Wow!
0: Yeah. And um, that's what's possible these days. We can connect um, digitally uh, and include all those voices and get that sense of wholeness. And yes, Sally, I've, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's magical. And, and it,
1: it is magical. And, you know, here's I'll just add one little side note. And that's that I've never worked with a group where we included more people than originally expected that they, where they've been sorry about it where the leaders have been sorry that they did it Mm. or regretted that they did it. Their Mm. response is always, that was the right thing to do. It made such a difference.
0: Yeah. And so, Sally, this reminds me, how often have you done some training, not necessarily doing some design planning work or strategic planning, but you've just done some training and the participants say, oh, um, X should have been in the room, my manager should have been here to hear this and see this.
1: Exactly yes. <laughs> um, yes. it happens Many times. so so
0: often, right, so there it, is that sense that everyone needs to hear um, what's going on and have some kind of you know some kind of equity in what what's happening
1: Yes. so
0: that's great, so Sally, what's coming to me um, as we continue with this conversation is that when we want to attract the most comprehensive, relevant thinking in our organizations and our communities. It's important to to not think of, you know, traditional top-down or bottom-up or not just think about a little representation or a little diversity but to begin thinking and embracing the whole. So let's pause for a moment to think how do you tap into the whole. Your story illustrates that, Sally, right? So people say, well, so-and-so needs to be here, so-and-so needs to be here and so on. And so with such leaders who recognise that, they're raising their own bar and in doing so they're expanding the capabilities of others and they actively design ways to include the voices of all their stakeholders because we know that when people have a stake and say in their own future, engagement and performance is enhanced. And I love the saying, people support what they themselves create. It's kind of my mantra and so how do you make that happen? How do you get all employees' feelings if they're invested in their work and their future? Um, Sally, you know, you and I have made it our business to do just that. And another of my favourite expressions, all these things are coming up for me at the moment, is when you give voice to people, just sit back and watch magic happen. Like I said, I've seen it happen so often.
1: That's some of the most rewarding Uh, some of the most rewarding moments of our work is when we see that magic emerge in a room where people connect up and really are able to have the conversations for solutions, and it happens.
0: Mm. It's almost like they're being given permission to do that.
1: Exactly right.
0: Mm. So um, what comes to mind right now is a story where I can illustrate this uh, For six years, I worked with Jersey City, you know, the municipality of Jersey City, the the borough. And I worked in different neighbourhoods. Now, my job was to design ways to bring all the voices or voices that wanted to come into the room from across the community so that the city development and planning division um, was actually taking into consideration what the citizens wanted, you know, so they were really listening to their stakeholders and it was an open invitation for anyone to come to have a voice and from the get-go to share what is in their hearts and minds. Um, most of them were, were kind of coming in with the things that they didn't want to happen and were fearful about what city planning was doing. But what we did was, you know, as we go through our processes, we, we asked them to share what they loved about their community, what they're most proud of, um, what, how they were contributing. We asked them what they dreamt of. And so, as we worked through, they worked in pairs and in small groups and around specifically designed sets of questions. They came up with the most, or well, they listened to each other's stories. They were amazed about the stories they were hearing and the care that people were showing, even though they may have had a specific position or a specific interest they were so respectful of each other's stories and and what they wanted to achieve. So they listened to their hopes and their aspirations for the community and it was such an amazing experience every time. The collective energy and the shared insights of what they valued um, and the evidence from the past and the successes that they had achieved and they learnt that they could actually begin to build on what else is possible and even, even if it was unknown. So there was this sense of wholeness, you know, they mm. they mm. recognized we're in this together. I care and you care. And together we care. And you know what? We're really not that separate. We're not that far apart. We can we are one together.
1: You know, I just want to stop there for a minute and, and emphasize that point that that is the biggest challenge, in my view, and the greatest outcome when we design events for wholeness, that people realize that others care as much as they do, mm-hmm. and that we are together in it. And that creates more shifts than anything, is that that crossing the divide that's sometimes there, when you realize, you know, you're not different from me. We are one. Mm. So thank you for putting it in those words.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, let, uh, just to round off this story because it makes me laugh, every time I did this, there was always the media there to cover it, right, because it related to, you know, the city. And so um, one particular event um, after the write-up, the journalist coverage of this particular, um, you know, community gathering there was a comment put on in the paper by the participant. It was an online newspaper or they could read it online. And one of the participants um, wrote, um, this is a very poor coverage of what we actually achieved. And so what that says to me, it's something about the spirit of the gathering that wasn't able to be reflected in Mm -hmm. the journalist's um, version of, you know, the story that the journalist wrote about the event.
1: Mm, Wonderful.
0: You know, this is what we do. We design and recreate opportunities for people to come together to share and learn and design and dream. And with the whole system participatory methodologies that that we recommend and we use, such as Appreciative Inquiry Summit and Open Space Technology, there's a host of them. You like this um, World Cafe and the Art of Hosting, Search Conferencing... And there are many others, and we, in these processes, we invite all the stakeholders to participate in the planning and the decision-making. That is the whole system thinking together, and we're going to say more about this in our next episode about connecting the collective.
1: Oh, yes. Um, And your story really illustrates welcoming wholeness. It's about inviting whole systems into powerful dialogue valuing all voices, and multiple ways of knowing. Let's reflect for a minute on the important elements of these whole-system, large-scale dialogic processes. The key elements include who's present and what's their reason or purpose for coming together, so that what's the topic of importance. That creates the glue of common purpose, and that's so important. We get the outcomes we design for, so we want to know Where we're headed, and what's an attractor for the people coming into the room. So, questions to ask as we plan for welcoming wholeness include Do I have a stake in the outcomes of of this group's work? Really? That's what a participant could ask themselves. Do I have a stake in this? Who else will be impacted by what we think together? Who else do we need to connect with? Are all the stakeholders here? If not, how will we reach them, connect to them, represent them? See, right away, you start thinking in a bigger picture and with a bigger whole. Mm. There are so many business and community challenges that we need multi-perspective thinking, contribution, and innovation on. That's why being able to welcome wholeness and manage the multiplicity there and engage the whole system is important for all of us and taps into our leadership, that leadership we all have. We need one another to make sense of all that's going on around us and to make meaning together. This means more than just an appreciation of the value and potential of the whole, but clear strategies and processes for tapping into the whole in ways that are open, dynamic and interactive.
0: You know, moving on from the invitation to coming to a gathering like that is the sense of learning and feeling that you belong. Um, and a feeling of welcome and belonging calls forth our best. That is, it calls us forth in full. A true invitation to collective dialogue builds on the belief that the answers to important questions walk into the room in the form of participants and emerge in combining their intelligence and intent. There's a built-in trust that the group has the ability and commitment to find the way through and that this will occur through individual voices coming forward together. There's no passive audience, no observers.
1: Yes, I love that idea that everybody everybody plays, everybody contributes, everybody speaks, everyone has a story. Communication theorist uh, John Stewart says, a la Martin Buber, that dialogue occurs when people hold the tension between holding your own and letting the other happen to you so that was a little quote there holding Mm. your own and letting the other happen to you that will not happen unless participants in a group feel safe enough to allow it
0: and they have a sense of belonging right? yes yes
1: and that and that if that doesn't happen all that great conversation and sharing that we've been talking about doesn't really happen Mm, mm. so just an example of this um Years ago, 20 years ago now, I went as a person who knew no one in the group to the Global Excellence in Management Program, which was sponsored through Case Western Reserve University um, and the USAID. So it was for those of us who did consultative um, developmental work. So uh, everyone was very welcoming when I got there, but I didn't know a person in the room. And it was very well set up, however, for starters. I felt when I came, got there and got settled in and went into the first session that someone had thought about me and how to make me comfortable. I felt taken care of. And we had ways to get to know each other and tell our stories in very non-threatening ways. It wasn't, you know, a huge quick data dump. It was uh, done over time. By the second day, I thought to myself, these are my people. You know, I belong here. I'm part of this. I can contribute here. My Mm. voice is heard here. And every day with this group, my voice is growing and changing. And I like it. That's no small thing. Mm. It was very fast. And the sense of belonging um, still persists. I still feel connected and happy whenever I hear from one of that group. And Ada Jo Mann, who uh, appreciative inquiry pioneer, headed up that program, that JAM program. And she and I are both part of the planning committee for the appreciative inquiry JAM coming up in Vermont. It's always a pleasure to be with her, and we have that deep background of relatedness that comes when you're with a group you belong to.
0: Mm-hmm. And I can echo that. I mean, I feel part of that same group, even though I wasn't originally in the GEM program. But over time, and I'm, you know, working with you guys, um, you know, we're all in this together. Um, it is, it's, a, it's extraordinary that we do have that sense of belonging. We fit. Um,
1: we fit. It's wonderful. Yeah.
0: So why don't we reflect for a moment, Sally, about what can hinder and help with our sense of belonging, You know, a big hindrance that comes up for me is fear. You know, fear is a constant underlying factor in most group work at the beginning, um, essentially. So fear of being judged, of being blamed. You know, we we are fearful of being misunderstood or misinterpreted. Um, We sometimes feel like being humbled is something to be fearful of or being discounted. Or at the worst, you know, feeling... Very or fear fearing being excluded, Mm. Um, and there's even that fear of speaking out in the first place, just like you said when you first joined that GEM initiative. Um, And we there is the tendency that we can shrink and go small to avoid pain, and we know this is how you know our emotions um, dictate how we feel. Safe or not. So we lose access to much of our wisdom when we're afraid. Our voice weakens. And
1: and an interesting th- thought, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and recently I came across um, some interesting research around this notion of belonging and how it impacts our well being. And I think this is what underpins it. And so there were three aspects of belonging that were highlighted. One was feeling that you belong to your profession or to a calling and I think both you and I can relate to that through you know what we share together so we have this sense of belonging to our profession yes the second one is belonging to a tribe um, or a group of people or a community um, and again that can be professional or it could be recreational it could be family it could be your church or whatever. So you belong to a tribe and feel included and cared for. And the third one was really interesting to me and that was this notion of belonging to the environment, the land, the place that you feel most at home. You feel at one with being at home. And we know what this is like with Indigenous people around the world. You know, just feeling that sense of belonging. So a little quick story about, adapting and and, um and and um experiencing growing into that feeling of belonging was my move to the u.s to the united states from australia and that was 20 years ago um and so i didn't feel i belonged in new york city it took a long time for me to feel that and the way that i developed that sense of belonging was through social connection of course through relationships and I found that through the professional networks and associations that I started to join. So inter- interesting, you know, that the, my my tribe was coming through my calling so I could feel more that I belonged to where I was living at the time.
1: Oh, good fit. Yeah. Um,
0: and so I think, you know, the connections that we have to the people and the environment around us absolutely play a crucial role in maintaining our sense of well-being and feeling that we belong. Now, Sally, I know that you've traveled a lot. Um, How does that resonate for you?
1: Well, it does resonate. I I like hearing your story. I have lived in um, two countries besides the United States. One was Colombia in South America and in Australia. And I always had the sense that while I felt welcomed, And I had friends and I had work and I had all sorts of things. I don't know that I felt a deep sense of belonging until I went back to visit after I had moved away. And I didn't realize how much I felt a a sense of belonging when I went back. And I don't know how I developed it in the first place, really. Um, when I look back on it, I think, well, you know, there was um, a continual, affirming, welcoming kind of invitation that people offered me. They were very kind to me and there were fun things to do and uh, et cetera. But I I developed a sense of belonging and it hasn't left me. And every time I go back to either of those countries, when I get – you know, walk out of the airport, I have this feeling of – ah. I'm in one of my homes. Mm -hmm. So there is that continual, affirming, welcoming invitation that soothes the initial fears that we have Mm. and enough so that bonds can begin to form. Because, you know, really, sometimes we really are in a place where what's most obvious to us is the otherness, the differentness. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while to create a a web of shared safety. Mm -hmm. Another great helper is developing the ability to hold others in positive regard, and feeling that coming toward you, toward me as well. Um, it comes from a conscious decision, actually, to mm-hmm. trust in the human capacity for good and for intelligent action. So you just extend trust that the people you're meeting and you're getting to know are like you. Mm-hmm. You know that that they are worthy of. Regard, and and in general, they're treating you that way too. This form of regard um, accepts that humankind contains both light and shadow, but doesn't confuse shadow with assumed unworthiness or humiliation. This element it assur- assumes and sometimes assures competence, goodwill, strength, and a willingness to contribute. When this invitation to worth and belonging is authentically extended. Um, we are nurtured by the recognition of an affirmation of who they are and what they have to contribute. So this this um, works also in events. I'm not just talking about moving to other countries here. We're talking about working together on things. So hmm. that that extension of um, regard that allows for worth and belonging, and uh, what people have to contribute, and it can't be faked. Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: People always see through it.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, it comes from a conscious decision, um, you know, holding people in positive regard and it comes from a conscious decision to trust in human capacity. I remember times when I'd be in New York City and I'd be walking the streets or I'd be on the subway and I would really hold a strong intention that everyone on that crowded subway was, uh, you know, was was a very special human being, that I really did work at that. And so um, I just wanted to share that with you because it really um, speaks to the importance of just being open to see people um, and that you are really connected as one.
1: That oneness and saying we are alike even though Mm. we might speak different languages, we have different habits, um, we, we have different cultures, but we are one.
0: Right. So, as we round off our conversation on welcoming wholeness, what is it that welcomes wholeness? Well, we say it's about invitation, right, and about readiness and willingness to participate, to join in. It includes um, diversity of thought and caring contributions from multiple stakeholders. So, our experiences and stories reveal the profound impact of meaningful conversations and ongoing inquiries. They open our hearts and enable real listening and shared leadership and that then enables climates of trust and psychological safety to be established.
1: Great summary. Um, There's another piece I just want to bring in as we get ready to close. The appreciative inquiry principle that underpins this literacy is the wholeness principle. It's one of the five emergent principles in the field. Um, It's usually the five foundational principles that get referred to the most. But the wholeness principle reminds us to invite all the different voices, perspectives, technologies, and multiple ways of knowing into the conversation or decision-making and planning. We talk about having the whole system in the room. All stakeholders are invited to participate in the future of a system, as each has experiences to offer and perspectives to share, that's the wholeness principle.
0: Yeah, that's great, Sally. And so, why don't we move to our dailyfication activity? Um, and what is it about welcoming wholeness that we can dailyfy? What are we seeking to bring to life daily as we develop capacity to welcome wholeness? Well, I've got three that I could suggest, um, and Go for they're, it. they're really worth practicing. Um, so let's start at the micro level. So at the micro level, we it's just really beginning to accept and to reflect on our own sense of wholeness. We are whole. And how are we honouring every day that we are complete, we are whole, we're amazing. Hmm. The second one is at the macro level because we spoke about these two different levels. And so at the macro level, if you think about our families, our communities and workplaces – We can strengthen our capacity to invite and include more voices, embracing the whole in all its multiplicity and its diversity. And the third um, suggestion is practicing moving from I to we in our way of working and being. And mindfulness practices help
1: here. Mm, That's a great set of ideas. Um, war- definitely worth practicing, I think. And I- I'm going to try that. I'm going to actually look at, at some dailyification and doing these daily and mm-hmm. see how it impacts me. So, listeners, a couple of re- it goes, re- uh. I will let you know. <laughs> uh, a couple of reminders for all of you out there in podcast listening land. We welcome you to the show notes page of this episode at appreciativevoice.com. It's worth a visit. Not only will you read a detailed summary of our conversation from today, you'll also be able to consider where you fit on the continuum for this literacy. You know, are you a real beginner in thinking of embracing wholeness and in everything you do? Or do you think you're pretty far along the path of mastery? Go check that out and you'll find a link to download our guide to the seven literacies. You get a beautiful booklet that defines, describes, and delifies each literacy. It's a great little asset to help you strengthen your practices of appreciative inquiry and the principles through the literacies. It's a great asset to appreciative voice. Next time on Appreciative Voice and Choice, we'll focus on the literacy of connecting the collective, the engaging voice that focuses on our living into the we.
0: Wow, so it's um, it's almost a continuation and an expansion of what we've been talking about today, Sally.
1: Yes, you're exactly right. Mm.
0: So remember, it's your choice to find and express your appreciative voice.
1: Thanks so much for today, Robin. It was a great conversation.
0: And from me to you, Sally, thank you.